Dawson? Da okay. Okay, uh, Dawson's gone. Um, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I guess I'm just alone now. No, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, is that you, Jasmine? Yeah, that's right. Emerging from the brush? <laughs> it's been a while. How did you get... Oh, you know what? I don't think I had you on the teleporter pad last time we talked. <laughs> I should. I left you here, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you haven't been here for too many years. Okay, you know what? Even though it's been a few, it's it's been a while, but we're 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 just vibing. Subs subsisting on <laughs> the fruit of the the interview dimension, uh, perhaps the odd, uh, the odd uh, political candidate left behind in the. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I hope it hasn't treated you too poorly, since you're an esteemed director of the board of directors here at Satan. You'll be joining me for this interview in lieu of Dawson Thomas, the vice president, who has wandered off apparently. That's right. It's okay. You know you can always depend on me. You know what? I always can. You always seem to be there right when I need you. Yeah. All right. So, like, let's start. Let's start. What? Wait, what's that? What's that emerging from the thicket? I can hear machete swings as the vines are cut away. An adventurer is approaching us. Could it be Aaron Waite, council candidate for Ward 7? It is. Came up the hill into the interview dimension. Oh, good to meet you here. You know what, Jeff? There's a lot of city council candidates in the interview dimension these days. It's crazy. <laughs> a lot of them. I was expecting this. It's the magic of election season is oh, what it I does. Bet. It draws them to this place. We just need a break from door knocking. So we're <laughs> hiding out with you. Hey, fair, fair enough. Um, we had... Uh, we had to teleport Giancarlo Carra literally into the dimension from a doorstep, is, uh, is, is what he told us. So um, we won't keep you away from the doors for too long. Thank you so much for joining us here in this, this lovely, idyllic clearing in the middle of the interview dimension. Um, how are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, I'm glad, glad to hear that. Uh, and we're glad to have you. Uh, this is, of course, the interview dimension. This is where we do all of our interviews here. We are followed by the ethereal spirits watching over us of the listeners. Uh, and for our listeners, do you think you, you want to just give us a quick rundown who you are, why you're running, what you stand for? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Aaron Waite, and I'm running for Ward 7. Uh, this is something that um, I spent a number of years thinking about before I joined uh, the race. And it came from a, a real passion for our city, recognizing we're at a critical point. I like to call this uh, the anti-nostalgia movement. I think we're finally uh, finished with wishing it was the 70s or 80s in Calgary and ready to move this city forward and, and transition. And I make light of that, but actually transition is very hard. There's people that have had lots of struggle in the last few years, and I don't make light of that. But uh, I think... Um, what comes with that is is a, a recognition that we do have to transition as a city. We can evolve and mature as a city. And it's not the let's be world class, let's try and be New York or Paris or Tokyo. Let's be just a great mid-sized city that's livable, well-run, and, and that people want to make their home here. I've uh, raised three kids. I've lived in the ward for over 30 years, raised three kids here who um, went to school uh, very near here. Uh, very near the interview dimension, and they, um, they've left Calgary. And so I look at, and they and all their friends that used to hang out at our house, I look at the city through their eyes and say, 
that's the city I want, the city that they want, that they're looking for. Two of my three kids don't have driver's licenses, probably never will. Uh, that I call Hillhurst disease because they live so close to downtown <laughs> and centered city that they didn't bother. Um, but they probably never will. And so, you know, I grew up where at 16 you got a driver's license the absolute moment you could. And that was that everyone did. And so they think their priorities are different than, than mine were at their ages. They think differently about how they want to live. And that's the city I want. I, I can't wait for it. I think it's fabulous. And uh, I've got the experience behind me, I feel, to put at City Council and actually help City Council move the city forward in a way that uh, I hope makes a difference for our city and, and makes our, you know, gets our city to a better place. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's for sure, I think the key phrase there is the, cr- the critical moment uh, the turning point, the threshold of something new um, in, in Calgary. Um, I think the uh, there is maybe not you know, as binary as two camps forming, but there's certainly themes amongst candidates across the city of uh, looking for change or looking for kind of retaining what we had or trying to you know, uh, bring Calgary back to the greatness that we saw during our booms in our boom-bust cycle. Um, and, and I would just say that I also had an opportunity to work through that period. I learned a ton and benefited from a thriving oil and gas industry and from amazing CFOs and CEOs who taught me finance uh, through my first career of corporate communications. So I am truly grateful for that. But at the same time, even at the city's you know, booming peaks. It wasn't good for everybody. That you know, there were lots of people who did well through that. I was one of them who benefited. But I think we can get to a better place where the city is actually, uh, you know, is a place that is opportunity for everyone. And and even at that peak, it really wasn't. You know, it depended who you talked to whether that was a great city. Yeah, uh, wonderful. I think I think we'll talk a little bit about kind of an equitable city. Um, a future-focused city for for every citizen in in a little bit, um, but first now just talking about kind of the the boom bust cycle. We've had our highs, we've had our lows. Economic revitalization is right on the the forefront of everyone's minds, their platforms this election. What uh, what do you what do you, what role do you think students have in ensuring that economic revitalization? What role they they can play? And then how can we empower them to participate in it? And how can council act and make decisions to incentivize that? That's an interesting uh, way to look at that question. So thank you for that. Uh, I, I think that students, first of all, need to, to vote and, and choose leadership that it will lead and, and uh, will help move the city forward and just pick leaders uh, whose visions you share, and and so then you actively participate in those decisions. I do think that, um, you know, there are issues with post-secondary funding that I'm really concerned about, but of course those are provincial decisions, and I think city the city has to work well with the provincial government and, and help advocate for uh, excellent post-secondary education and opportunities. And again, that means varied. I really worry when either the provincial government or at any level of government, there is that tendency to try and pick winners and losers or guess 
what jobs will be in the future. And all we know is those have been really bad guesses in the past. I have an English degree and had a wonderful corporate career and then nonprofit career. And uh, so, you know, that probably wouldn't have been predicted when I chose that path of edu- post-secondary education. And, and so it's important to offer a range of um, opportunity that allows people to pursue their interests. And, and I truly believe if you let people choose their passion, they'll find the opportunity and create the opportunities, create the jobs, create the companies that'll, that'll be opportunities for people. So with post-secondary, uh, a broad ranging offering and something well supported by government is I think a base of what we need for young people and for students to participate and see opportunity. After that, I think at the city council level, there's a, there's a need to listen to students and young people about what they want in a city. But And then in terms of uh, economic diversification, in a lot of ways, I think the city gets out of the way. I think, I think it would be dangerous if the city had, you know, some kind of innovation fund and was picking and choosing companies that they thought were going to be successful. That is not a city. <laughs> that's a, I don't think that's where the city belongs. And, and uh, there's, you know, the provincial and federal government has dabbled in that and usually not very successfully. So I think governments need to facilitate and be supportive of business and in some cases that means getting out of the way and and um, being aware of how hard it is to start a business and and ensuring that there's nothing the city's doing that actually makes that harder in terms of regulations and permitting and administrative things and regulation now I'm all for regulation that's safety related so it's not you know I know there's a provincial government movement now to cut red tape but they include in that uh, safety standard issues and I don't think those should be compromised but there certainly are uh, unnecessary administrative steps that that probably just sit on the books and are there because it's always been done that way and I think you need to certainly take a sharp red pen to those and say these don't help. They're just a burden for a small, someone trying to start out, and we get those off the books and and clean up. So, so in many ways, council gets out of the way and otherwise constantly listens to people uh, and ensures that um, there's they stay focused on the vision for a city that that will give our people of all ages good opportunity. Yeah, as a student myself, uh, who's and Liam, <laughs> uh, for those, the two of us were, were quite involved in politics. So just to hear you say that, um, you know, younger voters need to be more involved in politics so that we too can embrace that tan- transformation you mentioned. Um, because right now we're in the midst of a massive pivot, right? And to encourage students to, uh, I guess, be more informed is there anything you would like students to know about you and your campaign? Yeah, I, um, I, I think what is really important is is who we're listening to. Uh, having had the the nonprofit career for the last ten years, uh, that running an agency that supported people with disabilities, I. I had a profound lesson in who we're listening to and who we're not listening to. And my natural tendency, my natural, uh, my personality type is to try and jump in and fix and do things for people. And that takes away choice, that takes away agency. 
and that isn't a respectful way to to support people or provide any kind of um, services or support and so learning to listen to people with very different experiences in mind to not make assumptions is is something I learned profoundly every single day it was like every single day I'd say something and realize you know there's assumption built into that and I thought it was saying something nice or open or (laughs) you know um honoring someone and then you realize no it was it it has an assumption built into it I'm not really listening and and I learned that every day because when you work with people uh, the people we worked with uh, had cognitive challenges and um and 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 it was a common trait to speak very directly to people and and so if if you said something that uh just overlooked someone's experience or what was important to them they told you directly and so it was such a wonderful way to get direct feedback and learn and that will stay with me and it's very much behind why I chose to run because I want to ensure as ward 7 counselor I'm listening to voices that aren't the usual suspects the ones that are good at knowing how to phone the counselor's office or knowing how to get on a radio program or whatever and get and be heard the squeaky wheels and and those are great people too putting a lot of energy into speaking up and and being a voice for a community and that's all good but who aren't we listening to and there are people that simply because they're either introverted or it's not as comfortable for them they're not speaking up but they have important things to say and it would be it's my job to listen and find that's my job to listen to them it's not it's not a fault of theirs that they weren't heard it's it's my fault for not listening and so that's what's really important to me as a counselor and what's driving my reason for running is that ward 7 is really a complicated ward there's lots of different people different populations and uh and I want to make sure that I'm listening beyond just the usual people who speak up and get to counsel or or have their voices heard and so I hope students know and that I'm listening and that even if they're new to politics or they're not sure they're uncomfortable with what their role is in that that I will listen and I'm open to hearing from people, even if they're inexperienced uh, with taking a role, active role, um, that that's exactly who I want to hear from because I'll learn. I'll learn things, I, you know, instead of from the people that I'll, uh, that I'll hear from all the time because they'll be good at finding me and, and getting a hold of me. But so it's, I'm going out of my way to find other people and that includes young people who may not be experienced in the political processes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. A lot of people preach about um, collaboration and diversity, but not a lot of people are able to truly practice that. And for you to mention that, that's so amazing. Right now, you're you're talking about how, you know, you're so used to hearing from the same people, but you're you're seeking out to you're seeking out others. You're seeking out the younger population. You're seeking out to hear more from them, and that's. That's highly val- valued. <laughs> I hope, and I hope, and you know what? It's it's more interesting for me. The yeah. thing I learned in the last ten years at a nonprofit, uh, is, you know, supporting families that are people I otherwise wouldn't meet in my day to day life. Um, 
how much more interesting people were because they weren't exactly like me. I mean, this is selfish. It makes my life more, far more interesting <laughs> if I talk to a range of people and I'm open to hearing different experiences. Yeah. And it's getting assumptions out of the way. If I hear one more time, millennials do this and, you know, this group does that. And, wow, <laughs> you know, and those labels, I guess, come about for a reason. It's kind of a shorthand way of communicating, but they're just poor like there there isn't a generalization that holds up mm-hmm. and and uh it's just a it's it's a lazy way of communicating and and we just have to have our guard up all the time to to not do that and uh again it's just a lesson I learned so profoundly that I hope I never I mean I always will we're human and so it it is uh it's an easy way to fall back into a, a bad habit like that. But I hope I always have that consciousness to, to stop myself from doing that and to make sure, is there someone else I'm not hearing from? Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of going slow to go fast, I've learned, too, in consultation. There's mm-hmm. a lot, there's an approach. And, and governments get sensitive about this because they're accused of moving slowly. But in early stages of, of a project development or any kind of major decision, that consultation piece can't be rushed. You, if you take the time to truly listen, you'll get to a better decision and the project will move more quickly. If you think you're moving slowly and so you rush listening to people, it'll get you. In the, you know, the project will oh, have yeah. to change, it'll be revised. You know, look at our beautiful library and then it opened and the accessibility's not very good. It's like, oops. How yeah. could we do such a gorgeous building? I love that building, and it missed it. It had a fairly it's in the significant phase. Yes, a pretty significant Yeah, and I don't mean, and that's it. And <laughs> I shouldn't have. You know, I love that building, but it is. <laughs> but it was a little. You know, I was there opening day, and I thought if I had to get out of here quickly, I don't <laughs> know if I could. Like it really actually yeah. is a. You know, it, it's just. It's interesting that that got overlooked. Yeah. Arguably, oh, yeah. not even something that should be in the consultation phase. That should just be in the design. That's true. As a right. tech, in a, true. as a technology student, like accessibility is something we're just trained design into everything. Right. Nowadays, yeah. I don't know how long that's been part of the curriculum, but yeah, it's a great example. I think finding um, a follow up on this because I know consultation is something that is again big part of everyone's platforms. But I hear this verbiage used in Ward Seven. I got to say most frequently. Mm-hmm. I think consultation has been a big, big issue in this ward. Um, I think finding that that important balance between, you know, taking 10 years to listen to people, to listen, and you start getting in the weeds. Um, as just someone who just chairs meetings, how you experience this on the micro level, I can't imagine on the macro. Um, but at the same time, not rushing and not silencing. Um, and finding that correct pace where you're getting business done, but you're making sure people have ample opportunity to speak up. There's got to be a task. Um, I think something that a lot of consultation, uh, when, when people talk about consultation, we talk also about another major issue in the selection, which is the idea of densification and the development of the inner city. Um, what is kind of your general... I, I, I want to start very surface level before we dig deeper. What's, do you have any kind of a general statement on densification versus sprawl? Absolutely. Absolutely. We Sprawl costs the city more, and it takes away investment from the inner city. So it's, and, you know, I think most cities have, you know, mountains or a river or, water or something that 
that puts a natural boundary and unfortunately we don't so it's easy for us to sprawl um, and so we do and uh, that's n we don't need to sprawl and we can densify the inner all through the inner city neighborhoods um, and do that well the trick is the shepherding of that change in development I I don't think it's a war on the single family home uh, just as a bike lane isn't a war on cars. So unfortunately, the rhetoric quickly goes to those divisive kinds of views. Um, but that's, and that's understandable for, change is hard. It's back to that, you know, comment about a city in transition. It is hard on people to have change. Um, I, you know, a, a, you know, a house went up in our neighborhood and it looked very different than others and all our neighbors were grumbling and then they get their landscaping in and suddenly you, you don't notice and it looks great, right? So it's just that first reaction is always to resist change. And so um, it's important as we densify that we shepherd that change so it works well. Um, just uh, down the hill from this uh, interview dimension is a stretch of 14th Street that's really, really, really unattractive, and it's got a fairly big building, high-dense building going in. Awesome. It's it's not an attractive <laughs> stretch of the street. <laughs> Go for it. And then there's, you know, just a few blocks over on 19th Street, there's been an awful lot of uh, density oh, yes. added on just a few blocks, and 19th isn't as wide a street as 14th, and so that does feel like it's overwhelming the street there. And and at some point, isn't don't we have enough building I along think those? Like a, I think there's a pathway that they want to turn yes. into a parkade entrance. Yes, Little, yes, yeah. The, yeah, the old and you know red flag goes up on that one for sure. And I did I did put in a formal submission on that one too. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's it's how. It's the quality. So back to your consultation point and everyone, you know, certainly Ward 7, that's a heightened issue. It's not quantity, it's quality. So I noticed in the city's consultation, they'll say, we did a good job because we got 800 submissions. Well, first of all, as you know, to our earlier point, probably 600 were from a couple of people, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it's not a quantity issue, it's quality. And so how are we, what are we listening to? What's the content of the input being heard? How are we responding to that? Those are the important pieces of consultation and not, not a matter of, of saying we did a good job because we got a, a certain quantity of responses. Um, and I think it's only fair that if it was, you know, if it, if it was where I lived and something was going in adjacent to me, I should have a say in that because that affects me directly. If I live a kilometer or two away, Sh should I have as much say? Probably not. So I, it's the quality mm -hmm. that I think if we bring care to that conversation, and there's great tools the city's done, and they work darn hard on, on consulting, and so there's, there's lots of great tools they're using and mm -hmm. a ton of effort put into consulting with everyone. But when you get a project at a critical point and, and everyone in the area feels like they've never heard about it before, um, then I think there's been a miss there, and and there's room for improvement. Certainly, yeah. uh, to our to any of our listeners who are seeking just a a weekend read, um, I highly recommend going to the city of Calgary's website and finding big projects where they have open calls for calls for consultation and comments. Just download the con there's like a 500 page document of everyone typing in their complaints about drinking in parks. 
it's mighty fine. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> right. it's good to read. There's some people who just write like a very thoughtful essay, and other people just go drinking bad. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a wide, wide range, and parsing that can be difficult. So especially as you say when you say, oh well, we got 800 respondents. That's just a number. It's not right. a qualitative assessment at all. But um, but you bring up a point too. It's if you get into qualifying, it's subjective. Oh, so that exactly. leaves a lot of care too, oh, because for sure. every again, all our assumptions, everyone has their bias. Mm-hmm. So again, that's not going to be easy either. And I'm not suggesting that that's going to be a panacea. It's it's yeah. it's going to take a lot of care, and we're not going to please everybody with decisions, yeah. which I. I know, and I don't look forward to that mm-hmm. feeling of the feeling bitter, that, yeah, that I haven't met everybody. Power, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to feel that I've not met everybody's uh, needs. And so, so these are delicate c- issues that need a lot of care. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not always NIMBYism. It's not always, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to be open to hear the input and, and respond in a, in a, with care and with consideration. Certainly. Um, I think I could talk all day to you about what uh, meaningful consultation <laughs> really looks like yeah. um, and how y- you know we can put that in act- action in the city. Um, but I do want to move on in the interest of time uh, to something that's sort of, re- it's still d- related to densification. It's related to uh, very much Ward 7. Um, Ward 7 being home to the UFC and SAIT means students want to live here. Uh, we very much do. We Are you saying the affordability word next? Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we, I, some of, uh, there are certainly, how, th- there's certainly secondary suites in the area that you can afford uh, as a student. Um, I know, I used to live across the street, just on 19th Ave. <laughs> um, but... We, uh, so we have students from all across the city. Now, many of them are from Calgary. They're just staying at their childhood homes or the homes that they were raised in or maybe living with a friend. Um, but we know that a major concern is that students want to live closer to school. They simply can't. Uh, now, that's an affordability issue, of course. I think there's also a concern about housing stock. So when we're talking about densification from a student's point of view, it's really ta- about talking about increasing the supply. We see projects like uh, near Banff Trail, those big towers that went up, affordable housing just for students, filled, places absolutely filled to the brim like week two. It, it sold out so fast because students had finally had the option to live in, in dense, um, affordable housing for students near their campuses and near transit. How in Ward 7, especially with areas like University Heights or Briar Hill, where we see things like restrictive covenants. How can we responsibly densify while kind of soothing the concerns of those uh, of those residents? But most importantly, when I say densify in this context, I really am talking about increase housing stock and therefore make housing affordable for students. Yeah, I think those are um, exactly the kinds of things we have to make the higher priority in the discussion about densification. And it to me, it seems to be missing from the whole conversation so if you add a duplex in each side is over a million dollars you know we're not we're not bringing in young families young people students for that it, you know they can't afford that so um, I think it's absolutely crucial that we look at a range of housing stock models in both rental and ownership that um, will give us varied options and 
you know, from co-housing, intergenerational solutions are ideal for this community. There's all kinds of interesting things we can do in housing, and I think we're the perfect ward to have it because of the post-secondary and, and the range of ages and, and people that live in the ward. So it, we're perfect for that. And I think anything built with any of those creative ideas will fill instantly because we have the people interested in it. Uh, but affordability is key. Uh, restrictive covenants are um, a, a strictly a, a, a separate legal issue that have nothing to do with actually counselors. To, they don't actually have a role in that, so that's actually a separate thing. But um, I do, again, it's partly how it does tie back to the consultation in terms of bringing community along in, and how you add density and how add different types of housing so that it fits in a community and, and people welcome it and, and um, don't, don't just rail against it because it's different. And, and I think the consultation part is, is a big part of that. Again, I think it's fine that there's there's a neighborhood that is single family dwellings. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a matter of, of people should feel guilty because they have a house. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not. I think I don't think that's part of the conversation. But the um, adding density with a, with varied models, I think, is really key. I, I've always been disappointed by all the rhetoric around around renting as if that's somehow lesser it, when it's just simply a different model and mm -hmm. it's just it's just you know again it's like my issue with generalizations where so we judge something and it's just different it's not better or worse and so we have to have rental options we have to have all kinds of mixed ownership models i love the norfolk housing model that for for lower income where it's um a portion of suites in one building and some are at market and those at market ones subsidize the below market. So that I love better than housing that's designated low income housing where it gets stigmatized. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that how these varied solutions and creative ideas are mixed into a community that make them work and, and um, with good consultation that can yeah. make them work. And I, and I do realize I, it's also part of our downtown revitalization with the ideas that are in the downtown strategy of, of uh, encouraging student living right downtown and then ensuring that the C-Train options support getting to campuses without it, you know, ensure that that stays really accessible so that that becomes an easy answer. Yeah, yeah, and I think... Um, when we talk about densification, when we talk about um, building up housing that is desirable for students, especially since our campuses are, are surrounded by these, um, you know, neighborhoods that are really dominated by single-family dwellings, um, and in some cases, like University Heights, building a secondary suite is an absolute nightmare. Um, despite the fact that students at USC, when I was at USC, we call it D-block, we considered it that entire neighborhood just an extension of the university right. um so we just could not fathom why there were single family homes there when every other university that that we were aware of was surrounded by towers filled with students um and so that was that was frustrating i think what what happens next and i think again restrictive covenant areas like that really hard to budge i think that's uh, separate it's in the judicial system correct? that's right yeah really hard to budge. I think what happens next is figuring out how we get our students to campus. C-Train's a great way of doing that. Uh, transit in general, really important for us students. 
um, a high, high percentage, uh, which I don't want to reveal the exact number, <laughs> but a very high percentage of our students get here uh, by, by the C train. Uh, and I want to talk about the C train. <laughs> I think Jasmine is champing at the bit to talk about the C train. Um, first, though, are you familiar with the U-Pass? Yes. Okay. Are you familiar with the issues with the U-Pass? Uh, some, but I don't know if I know seats particularly, if it's Certainly. distinct. This is, this is something that's been close to the heart of SATSA for years. It's been on my desk for a couple of years. It was on my predecessor's desk for years um, in various forms. Um, it's also on the desk of pretty much every student association in the city and therefore the Calgary Student Alliance. It represents over 65,000 students in the city. We are the primary benefactor or beneficiaries of the UPASS program, its primary users. We are not part of the negotiation process of the contract. It's negotiated between the institutions on our behalf and the cities under the assumption that the institutions have our best interests at heart, uh, which, you know, I'm not bashing institutions here, but if that were true, student associations wouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't need us. Um, and our research actually shows that this is the only major city in Canada where the student association doesn't negotiate the contract, including Edmonton. Um, so the provincial legislation governing post-secondary bodies and the collection of fees applies to those schools too, and yet their student associations are coming together with their being led into the room by the schools and by the city to actually be part, part of the negotiations process. Do you think students should be let in the room? If so, um, <clears throat> pardon me. If so, will you make a commitment today to seek that out should you be elected? Absolutely, there's no question of that. And I've heard stories of all the advocacy student associations do, and probably the worst experience was around transit. So um, I've, I've heard those direct stories that are absolutely believable, that I'll take on face value as, as uh, believable. And uh, it simply makes no sense that um, such a key service area that students depend on, uh, that your voices aren't heard at that table. So that makes no sense. Um, we, we have to, it's been a real learning, I think, through the pandemic in terms of transit flexibility and service needs, you know, that, and it was a real dilemma because if, if people were, were staying at home and not using transit as much, but then the transit service gets cut as a result, but then it's not available when you do need to, uh, get around, um, that was a real chicken and egg problem that, that to me tells us we have to commit to transit being an essential service that needs to be there with frequency and good quality service for the people that need it. And and if that's an extra cost when the ridership's down for some extraordinary event like a pandemic, we still have to commit to it. And then in terms of the, uh, you know, a, a pass for university students, that needs flexibility in it. They can't have to pay a full fare if you know, school, you know, schools shut down in terms of being on campus and then they don't have the flexibility. So I think going forward, both work environments and, and educational environments will probably have that flexibility and, and have a lot more options so that it won't be a nine to five going to an office yeah. or, a, a, you know, week long going to classes every day. And so the kinds of transit passes people need have to have more flexibility uh, in terms of um, that what that cost is for what service people are needing and they can't be hung up with you know that full cost if they're not 
suddenly using it for six months or a year or whatever. And so we just have to accept that, I think, transit. If we're, again, a great mid-sized city, not world-class, we're not Paris, we're not New York, let's be a great mid-sized city with really well-connected transit that works for people. And that is how we that's how we build a successful city. So it just needs that commitment. And absolutely, student associations need to be at those tables. It, it makes no sense not to have student associations at key tables like yeah. that for key service areas that they depend on. Yeah, and a, a lot of our students, we know that, uh, well, m- many, if not genuinely most of uh, our students, at least part of, part, at least the end of their commute is on the C train um, or on a bus. Maybe they drive to a park and park and ride. Um, many of the students who drive the whole way are in the center north and center south. Can you guess where I'm going with yes, this? Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a certain line that is green. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jasmine, I'm going to pass all the city issues, the larger city issues, <laughs> onto you. There's a couple that aren't on the list that I'll have to jump in at the end, but go, go wild. So I'm actually so glad that you uh, brought up Uh, the lack of accessibility for public transit. Um, It is a major challenge and it's limiting individuals from fully participating in uh, all aspects of community life. So what actions will you be taking to improve the availability of public transit? More so, what is your stance on the Green Line? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, Here's my thoughts on the Green Line. We made that decision in 1981 when we started a C-train there's no point having, excuse the language, half-assed C-train system. It, it needs to connect the whole city. And if it doesn't, what's the point? So whether, a, you know, whether the Green Line is something that is a bit daunting, it's a big, huge project, we committed to that when we started a C-train, and that's our network that we use. Therefore, connect the city with the C-train, and it's been way overlooked to connect that north central part of the city it's just gone too long without that being connected that's there's a there's a huge population there that needs that connection so um and specifically on the green line yes big expensive project if we do it later it's more expensive let's Mm -hmm. just get it done and i get the risks and the and you know where we are as a city and that's a very big project but it's, it's, it was a decision we made in 1981, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I do think in the meantime, there's other transit connections we can look at. I do think we have made some big commitments as a city in the last few years with an event center, Glenbow, Arts Commons, mm-hmm. Green Line. And so I think the next four years, we're going to have to be a little more cheap and cheerful on the things we pursue. I am not expecting a lot of ribbon cutting and getting plaques <laughs> up anywhere because we won't have the money for those big projects, but that's okay. Let's do the small connector projects. So I would love to see a hop-on, hop-off bus as an example that that connects all our inner city communities around downtown and just does a little circuit around downtown. And think of that option to just head out for a walk you, you accidentally, you know, it's a nice day, you walk further than you intended, so you have a little bus you can hop mm-hmm. on and get back to your starting point, or you grab an extra bra- bag of groceries on your route, and so you can hop on this quick connector bus that connects communities. If we want people using downtown more, a bus that um, goes around downtown and allows you easy, easily to just um, connect to, from one end of downtown to the other by hopping on this bus and going in and out of downtown easily, I think will encourage people uh, to use it. And that's people living in 
all these communities and that, that are post-secondary students in, in at our institutions that are all around here, uh, as well as, as a great tourism boost. So something like that could be piloted. It doesn't require infrastructure, but it could be tested. And, and, and let's just focus on connecting our communities more easily and, and try those smaller projects that add both interest and that walkability, usability, and, and um, you know, live within our means for a few, few years, but, but ensure we're staying focused on, on issues like good quality transit. Yeah, seems like we have a hard year, hard four years coming up with uh, pushing off all the ribbon cutting. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so with your uh, background in, you know, supporting uh, um, people with disabilities and all that, what are your thoughts on transportation for individuals with disabilities? I'm sure you have quite a few. Yes, for sure. It, it's, um, it's definitely been an area that's, that's a real problem for, mm-hmm. for a whole part of our population and that's wrong that they're not given the same service it just means they don't get to participate like everybody else and that full stop is wrong we saw it as well on a accessibility issue with our attempts um, early in the pandemic to um, to quickly allow restaurants to do outdoor patios the first summer that was done it was done in a rush and so good for the city to be responsive but it was an accessibility nightmare and uh, you would have a wheelchair ramp with a a fence right in front of it so at the bottom like there was no room to get off the ramp and turn Um, and so uh, or you had to go on and off up and down the sidewalk um, many many times within a block which is really hard on people with any you know from strollers to any kind of mobility Mm -hmm. support so, but I was patient and I was very noisy on Twitter about it and <laughs> tried to draw attention to it, but I was trying hard to be patient because it was a really good attempt to respond quickly and save restaurants that were really, really struggling. But then the second summer of pandemic and the same thing happened mm-hmm. and that in that case, there was the learning from the prior sun- summer and the whole winter to figure that out and set up those patios so that there wasn't an, an accessibility issue and nothing was done and they were done the same way, hurriedly and really poorly poorly set up for accessibility. That's just mm-hmm. inexcusable for that to have happened two summers in a row. So those are issues. Generally, it's like uh, the comments about um, uh how we how we design and how we consult um, our huge issues like climate change, all of those and accessibility and rights issues, they have they can't be a little side table or a committee that's off to the side. It can't be the table for milk and cookies where the dinner is served somewhere <laughs> else, right? It, we've got to find a way to build those into the agenda mm-hmm. right from the start and be a priority. Those are issues that are easy to tack on to a project as an afterthought, and that's why we have problems with those big issues. And if if we're going to build a great city, those values have to have to be uh, given higher priority on agendas and be built in um, as part of the design, and not just oh, and now that we've got this project figured out, now let's think about climate change, and now let's think about equity, and now let's think about uh, you know, accessibility. 
No, mm-hmm. it can't be an afterthought. And this little side committee that we sometimes hear a report from, it's got to be built in. And that's what we can do as we mature and grow as a city is, is do a better job of, of those really important issues. It goes back, it, it all goes back to the consultation phase. It does, who we're, <laughs> li- who we're listening to and how we listen. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just looked at the, uh, the clock and I think we're going to have to jump right la- to our last question here. Okay. Um, which is about reconciliation. Okay, let's get into it. <laughs> so, uh, with reconciliation in mind, many Indigenous communities in the city struggle with barriers such as addictions and mental health struggles. Um, what is your stance on giving back to these communities to ensure they are not only being spoken for, but supported through various resources that the city can provide so they aren't left behind? And th- I think that's all back to the same issues we've been talking about. and. Uh, reconciliation is a specific issue for our, you know, regarding our Indigenous populations and, and our absolutely terrible record of genocide and terrible treatment. It does apply to other populations like people with disabilities mm-hmm. in, in equal measure. And so although I'm no, um, you know, there's a, there's lots of people we need to listen to on this topic that um, that are better informed than me. I, I certainly had the analogous experience of learning how we are under representing and under supporting people with disabilities. And so I think, so from that learning, I know we have a ton of work to do to learn and listen and uh, ensure that we honor and respect people equally and that they fully participate. And that that's on us that, that we have uh, many of the issues we do from past traumas and our past terrible record. And so there's there's lots to do there, and uh, I'm absolutely in favor of the uh, very firm recommendations in the uh, reports on reconciliation that are tabled for the city, and those have to be honored and followed. And it's the same issue. It cannot be a little side table that we think about periodically or get a report from. Mm-hmm. It has to be action that we take and incorporate into everything we do. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a topic. Um, I, even, I even worry, frankly, about, you know, a certain day set aside to honor. Um, while those symbolic things are great, I, I don't want to do that instead of the hard work of what we mm-hmm. have to do with yeah. reconciliation. And, and so with all our rights issues and our values-based issues, we have to be careful not to have token activity or token words that mm-hmm. don't actually take, take, do the hard work. Yeah. And it's on us. It's not, it's not up to um, Indigenous people or people with disabilities or anybody who, f- who is being left out of society for them to teach us how to do that it's mm-hmm. up to us to do the hard work yeah yeah that that i think that's so important we've talked a lot about um where listening begins and where uh, like the what the role is of of city council and how it's not the it's not the individual community's pr- like prerogative to try and educate the the city on this and it's it, I, I echo it's uh, it's really on us. Um, I, it is so unfortunate that we have run out of time. Uh, this is a wonderful conversation. This always happens when we have the good conversations because we <laughs> end up talking longer than yeah. if we had just done a, a very boring interview. Um, so thanks for coming in. 
Thanks for talking to us in the interview dimension. Do you have any questions for us, closing statements, as as we let you go back into the mists of the interview dimension? Only that I really hope people vote and that they vote. Um, You know, there's lots of, right now, questions on very immediate, specific things because of the pandemic. But think about that bigger vision piece. Think about the type of person you want uh, representing uh, both our ward and acting on council on your behalf. I, I sometimes, I've had really interesting emails with three or four questions and when I answer, I get back, um, actually, I disagree with three of your answers, but I'm voting for you because you were willing to engage and mm-hmm. had thoughtful reasons. So ensure that you're voting for that bigger picture. Who, yeah. who, what type of person do you want there representing you and and who will help us have an effective council that'll take our city forward? It's important to recognize uh, that the pandemic will probably sway the vote, but it's also very important to remember to take a look at the bigger picture because although that the although the pandemic is current, we're we're trying to move forward. This mm-hmm. is a this is a once in a multiple decade yeah, election. Right. We're talking eleven out of fifteen <laughs> yeah. seats. And yeah. so, so, so whether two of us term. have different views on yeah. a vaccination <laughs> yeah. passport may not be the reason to vote for somebody for our city. Yeah, yeah. we need to be thinking about the long term. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I will remind our listeners to vote on October eighteenth. If you haven't voted in advanced voting, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't voted, you missed advanced voting. Um, it's going to be. October 18th for you, my friend. You need to go to your polling station. Make sure you get out and vote in the municipal election. Thank you to Aaron Waite, council candidate for Ward 7. That's Ward 7 here in the city of Calgary. On this beautiful day in the interview dimension, we will allow you to uh, continue your adventures in the interview dimension. Good luck getting out of here. Um, you know, uh, try not to end up trapped in the dimension forever. Thank you so much, although it is nice a nice little respite. <laughs> it is. We'll let <laughs> nice you get back cozy. to the doors. Uh, and Jasmine, let's continue our journey um, back towards our teleporter pad to try and get out of here. Maybe we'll find Dawson along the way. Probably let's not, though. get it. <laughs>